Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe, uh, back after a week off last week. Um, now I don't even remember why I took the week off. I think I had something else going on. I was looking to do an alternative podcast that did not uh, materialize. But anyway, we are back, and uh, it is April the 20th, Tuesday, April the 20th at about noon. Uh, Central Time, and uh, happy to be talking to you guys again. Uh, most likely, we'll just go back to uh, regular every week mailbag podcast moving forward. As I said, there was a little hiccup last week and was looking to uh, uh, <laughs> sorry, I was uh, uh, interacting with Matthew Bain uh, on Twitter and he made me laugh. Um, Matthew reported today that uh, Philip Rebraca, a big man from North Dakota, uh, a transfer portal candidate for Iowa, uh, met again with Iowa on Sunday via Zoom and looks like a decision is coming soon. So good reporting there from Matthew. I was joking with him that I Reached out to Philip yesterday and uh, did not hear back. <laughs> and Matthew got him, and he basically said, "Yeah, that's kind of the luck of the draw." And that's if you cover recruiting, you know, a lot of it is timing. Uh, I can just imagine on the other end, uh, you know, a prospect seeing a tweet or a, a DM, a DM and a tweet or a text or whatever in the middle of doing something, and just like, "Yeah, I'll get back to that guy, whatever, whatever." And you know, maybe it slips his mind or her mind and, and they don't get back. And I, we've all done that where we, we receive some type of correspondence while in the middle of something and uh, forget to go back to it. But anyway, maybe he's just ignoring me. That's kind of what I put in my tweet that maybe uh, <laughs> that's, that's where I stand, but probably more likely uh, a luck thing as Matthew said, but uh yeah, I digress. We go uh, into some of your questions here uh, through Twitter here on the Mailbag Podcast. I'm sure if you're listening to, to this podcast, you know uh, the drill and the setup here. And um, as I like to say and uh, throw out there uh, is just because you may miss my tweet 
soliciting questions for this podcast Monday nights and usually again Tuesday mornings. I retweet it just to try to hit the people that are our nighttime Twitter folks, and morning Twitter folks, and then I collectively get the people that are always on Twitter <laughs> twice. But um, yeah, if, if you have a question during the week or you're listening to this podcast and you're like, I have a question now, but I'm going to forget to ask it when you know, Rob throws that tweet out there again, asking for, for, for questions or comments. Um, hashtag HN, or excuse me, HF mail. H, like Hawkeyes, F, like fire, mail. Hashtag HF mail, anytime. And I'll go and search that hashtag when I am recording. And then I will be able to see your question no matter when you send it during the week in between the podcasts. Um, and I make sure to do that every week. But uh, without further ado, let's get into some of your questions here. I actually did research for this podcast, believe it or not. Um, I don't always get a chance to do that, but you guys had some more in-depth questions today. So I tried to get in and, uh, and look back a little bit more uh, research-wise. But Wombat... Hat42 at WombatHat42 on Twitter uh, was the first in to ask, why don't we see more from Dallas Craddith? That is, a, uh, I believe, a junior safety from St. Louis. He was a four-star um, prospect coming out of St. Louis. A big, uh, It was a very loaded class that year coming out of St. Louis. He was a big recruit and essentially disappeared. Also, whatever happened to the defensive lineman who hurt his neck and will still be honored, and we still honored the scholarship. And that is Michael Lois, and he is a defensive lineman from Wisconsin who I believe was in the 2019 class. Uh, I could be off on that. He could have been in the 20 class, but I'm pretty sure it was the 19 class. Either way, uh, I have not checked up with, with Michael in a while. And uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, April the 21st, my 20th wedding anniversary. Uh, shout out to my lovely wife, Catherine, uh, who's put up with me for 20 plus years. Um, we have uh, coaches tomorrow, Brian Ferentz, Kelvin Bell, and who am I forgetting? Um, Seth Wallace for the linebackers. So uh, with Kelvin Bell being the defensive line coach, I will try to remember to ask him how Michael is doing. Uh, it was going to be a very long shot that he was going to be able to play football again. Uh, so I, I don't know where things stand in that regard, uh, but I know he did come to Iowa. Of course, there was a pandemic too, so I don't know how that may have affected uh, what he was doing, but I will check with Kelvin tomorrow and try to get an update on Michael Lois. Uh, for you folks. So check that out uh, on my Twitter or uh, during when I, after I've posted the Kelvin Bell interview. And uh, hopefully we get an update on him and things are going well for Michael. Really good kid. Unfortunate accident in the pool. I uh, hurt his neck and uh, had some bunch of surgeries and uh, yeah, that was unfortunate. So hopefully he's doing well, but again, I'll give you an update when I get one on that. As far as Dallas Craddock, uh, I wrote about him a little bit on Saturday, uh, or Sunday after Saturday's practice. He, um, you know, it, it, and I'm not blaming you of this Wombat, but, 
Um, I think when we see a high school kid maybe with a high ranking, we expect immediate impact. But when they get to campus, it really is a starting, a new starting point for these guys. And, you know, just because someone might be highly ranked out of high school doesn't mean that there's not a bigger adjustment period for, for him when he gets to college. And I think we're seeing that a little bit with Dallas. He, um, you know, it, you start off and you're in a, you know, you start off and then you're kind of in a pecking order. And depending on the depth at your position and experience at your position and, you know, where you are in the, in the development process, that determines where you're going to be from that starting point. And for Dallas, he's been a member of a very deep secondary since he's been here, particularly at the safety position. And he's taken a little bit longer to develop for some reason. I was uh, happy to hear LeVar Woods last week, I believe it was, the Iowa special teams coordinator, talk about Dallas as a guy who could be a core special teams guy uh, who's, who the game has slowed down for a little bit. And I wrote about that Saturday. I saw that with him playing in the secondary. I think he's, he's not going to get a lot of reps in the secondary um, unless there's an injury probably just because of the experience and talent ahead of him. But I think he's still kind of in that mix. And should there be a need, I think he could, he's to the point now where he's developed where he could get in uh, and help and, and be able to be uh, a good player when he's in there. And then I also think that importance of being a, you know, a core special teams player and then potentially uh, using that as a springboard to playing time on the defense, we've seen it time and time again. And when you look at a guy like Devontae Young, who came in as a wide receiver, then he switched to defensive back, and then he never really played on offense or defense any significant snaps, he was a very valuable member of core special teams. And we saw that at Iowa State in 2019. You need guys like that in your program. Dallas is a really good athlete. Uh, I think the game is slowing down for him. And I think it, the, it looks like he's gotten to the point now where he can contribute. And sometimes that takes a little bit longer for, for certain guys. And there's nothing wrong with that. And uh, again, he's been, he's been at a deep, um, he, he's been a part of a deep position group. And it's not always easy to break through. You can only play a certain amount of players. And uh, it's, it's all new when you get to college and you've got to prove yourself again. So I, I'm encouraged with what I saw from Dallas at the open practice on Saturday. And I'll be interested to see where things go for him from here. Um, at the very least, I think he's somebody we can look for on special teams in the fall that could really uh, boost those units. So thank you for the question, Wombat42. Don't be a stranger. Uh, please check in again in the mailbag podcast. Always happy to hear from you. Uh, Jeff at Jeff Willems five on Twitter, uh, who is battling with people in my mentions about um, the difference between job hopping and transferring schools uh, as a student athlete. I'll let those guys uh, battle that out. I'm not taking part in that. I just kind of follow along in my mentions because I'm included in the conversation. You guys know who that, how that works when you're on social media. But Jeff asked, do you think Fran knew or was taken by surprise? This is a reference to CJ Frederick and his transferring uh, the announcement. Um, I, I tweeted out Sunday night that I was able to confirm that he was going into the transfer portal yesterday, Monday, uh, April the 19th. 
it was a, he made it official that he would, well, the university made it official first. Then he confirmed that he was in the transfer portal. A uh, lot, this is a, you know, a lot of opinions and some, I, I think you consider drama, drama that's attached to this story. Uh, what happened, you know, was there tampering from Kentucky, which he hasn't announced that's where he's going yet. Um, you know, what was, what was the line of communication between CJ and the coaching staff and the Iowa basketball teams in terms of when he alerted them that he was going to make this move? Did he say at some point when asked, no, I'm staying and, and then decides to go? All of that stuff is just being speculated about. I'm still trying to, to have conversations and get concrete information on what went down, but it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. At the end of the day, CJ Frederick is moving on from the Iowa basketball program and Fran McCaffrey staff have to find a replacement. And that's really all that matters at this point. All the other stuff, how it happened, what happened, uh, it doesn't matter because it happened. So, you know, I think it's best for everybody to move on. Uh, I'm sure over time we'll find out the reasons. I will say this, Jeff, and, and it's probably why you've asked this question. The difference in the press release, which wasn't really even a press release, it was a tweet from the Iowa official Iowa men's basketball Twitter account, basically was not Fran McCaffrey saying we wish CJ well, which he's done most always when, whenever somebody's moved on from the program, there's a press release with a, you know, often a stock quote from Fran thanking whoever the player was for his contributions to the program and then wishing him well, wherever he goes, oftentimes saying, you know, we'll help whoever it is that is moving on, find a new home, uh, you know, all of those things. It, it's an amicable split, what have you. This was different in the fact that it was, very short and basically just confirmed that CJ Frederick was going into the port transfer portal. There was no, we wish him well, thank you for the contributions to the program, any of that. Maybe we'll get that more when we talk to Fran in person, but at least on the surface, it feels like feelings were hurt. I've heard that off the record uh, through conversations I've had that, that um, the Iowa basketball program feels um, hurt by CJ's decision for whatever reason. And again, I'm still trying to gather information on this. I'm not going to uh, say this happened when I know it's only speculation at this point. I've heard things, but not, not things that I would be willing or comfortable in reporting. Uh, but it's obvious. On the, you know, we just saw when Jack Nungy announced his transfer and he ended up at Xavier uh, this offseason that Fran went out of his way to really praise Jack. And now Jack's been through a lot with losing his dad and injuries and what have you. But still, you look at the history between Fran McCaffrey and the Frederick family, for those that don't know that are listening to this. Fran was an assistant coach at Notre Dame when Joe Frederick was one of the, the, uh, their better players. And they've had a relationship for about 30 years. Uh, CJ uh, was, was quoted, you know, I spoke to him, everybody who spoke to him, not only when he was committing and he was willing to walk on at Iowa and did for, I think, I believe it was a semester just because he wanted to play for Fran McCaffrey in college. That's what the relationship was like. That's how strong the relationship was. Family, friends. 
And then for it to end like this with really no, um, uh, no reaction at all from Fran McCaffrey, I think you can take that to mean that this was not a uh, smooth split, so to speak. And was he taken by surprise or did he know? I think it'd be naive of us to think that with all the rumors that have been out there in the last month plus about CJ potentially transferring, that there have been no conversations between CJ and his family and Fran McCaffrey to, to say, hey, you know, is this just a, you know, a bullshit rumor? Uh, is this legit? Is there any legitimacy to this? Are you happy here? Fran meets with the, all the players individually after the season. At this point, he would have had to have met with CJ Last week, Wednesday, Fran is asked about CJ. Is he practicing? No, Fran says. He's been off his feet with the plan. Fran didn't say this, but and, and it's never – I don't think CJ or Fran have uh, officially acknowledged that it's plantar fasciitis, but that was that's what the injury was that affected CJ this year and, and had him in and out of the lineup. Uh, anybody who knows that injury, it's, it's very unpredictable. But anyway. Fran had said last Wednesday that CJ had been off his feet and, and rest is what the, you know, is what the, the uh, recovery recommendation is for plantar fasciitis to stay off your foot and kind of let it heal. And that's what he had done. And then last week, Fran said he's looking forward to get CJ back at practice this week. You fast forward, what, four or five days and the kids are already telling people he's going into the transfer portal. Something happened there. Uh, there, you know, something went on in that period of time. I don't know what it was, uh, but this is something where it seemed like a, a unreliable rumor for quite a while that turned out to be the way it unfolded. Those are fluid situations too. It, there's no saying that back a month ago that CJ was like, you know, had his mind made up. Obviously if his mind was made up last month, he would have left. So it's hard to know, Jeff, what all the communication process was here, but it's safe to say that it wasn't a smooth exit for CJ. There's hard feelings here, and over time, maybe we'll get more information on how this went down, and there are always two sides to the story, so uh, we'll probably hear two different versions of, of what went down, but... It is what it is. As I said, I don't always like using that term, but in this case, um, it really doesn't matter how it went down. CJ Frederick is no longer a Hawkeye and Iowa has to replace his, um, his spot on the roster. And that's really what's important moving forward. So thanks for the question, Jeff. Good luck in your uh, debate with those folks on my, in my Twitter mentions. Uh, you know what I usually find out with these situations? People's minds don't change, and usually the the uh, the debates usually go on and then get nasty at some point, and then they end. So hopefully it ends well for you. Uh, Pat Hardy at pathardy.com, um, the owner, publisher, lead writer uh, extraordinaire for hawkfanatic.com, who uh, – is the host of this podcast, asks, what if the late, great Harthorne Wingo had played during the age of the transfer portal? And we got a response from Mike Halas from the Gazette at Halas. Every team in the nation would have reached out to him. I agree with Mike here, Pat. Uh, 
people that don't know, and I know Pat and Mike know, I, I grew up out in, on the East Coast and spent a lot of time in New York, graduated high school from New York, went to school, high, college in New Jersey. Um, I'm kind of one of those, uh, uh, so one of those people that's really interested in the history of street uh, street basketball, playground basketball, uh, and uh, Hearthstone Wingo. I, I would I would um, encourage people to to look up his story. It's really interesting. He's a guy who uh, played junior college basketball, but really made his name at Rucker Park, the famous Rucker Park in New York City. Uh, and, and was just a standout there, was a, was a, a, a playground legend, playing against Dr. J and Kareem and a bunch of, you know, Hall of Fame basketball players. He hung with them, uh, actually was, uh, it was recommended to Red Holtzman, the coach of the Knicks at the time, that he gets a, get a tryout with the Knicks. He ends up making the team and is in the rotation and helps the Knicks win their last world championship in 1973. As a Knicks fan, I've been waiting ever since then when I was, what would I have been six years old, I guess, the last time they won a championship. Um, so you can figure out and do the math of my age from there. But uh, I've been waiting ever since for them to win another championship. I'm encouraged with the, the direction of, of where the, the franchise is headed now, uh, despite the uh, Dolan ownership remaining. But that's another story for another day. To answer Pat's question, he would have been uh, one of the major players in the uh, the transfer portal, as Mike Halas uh, stated, and uh, he'd probably end up in Kentucky with C.J. Frederick. I'm joking. Not really. Um, or Duke or, or one of the Kansas, one of the other major programs, uh, if he was available in the transfer portal. Hawthorne Wingo uh, would have been a major target in there. So kind of a jokey question from Pat, but also one that I think is kind of a – a, a good framing of how what the what's going on now with this transfer portal and and the, the previous contra, uh, question that I was talking about a conversation from Jeff Willem's question on CJ Frederick leaving. This is uh, get used to it. This is the new age of college basketball. There's going to be a ton of movement after every season. You're going to have to check the roster before each season to say, oh yeah, that's right, that guy's here now and that guy's not here now and that's. Kind of the way it's going to be for better or for worse um, we will be moving on from there so um, tim messer at tms89 on twitter asked what guards in the portal that fran recruit out of high school seems like that there that's where he would start to fill the need at guard if jaybo comes back does iowa still look for a guard in the portal uh it's a good question i think uh they probably would um, I'm going to, Tim, I'm going to go under the, um, and this could be a wrong assumption, but I, I think at this point, J-Bo would have told Fran if he's coming back. I don't think that, um, and maybe we hear that today after I'm done recording this or tomorrow, or, but I would think a decision needs to be made. And Fran was asked about this last week he felt like Jordan would make a decision soon. And now we're, you know, almost a week away from that press conference last week. We're six days from there and we haven't heard anything. Uh, we're going to need a decision one way or the other on that. I think they could, they could hold off on adding a guard uh, should J-Bo come back. Um, but that doesn't mean that they will. 
and I'll talk about this with another question that's asked later, just in terms of roster makeup. But uh, to answer your question, um, your main question, which is um, the guards that Fran recruited out of high school, uh, I wrote some down here. Most, some I didn't really pay attention to the ones that um, had already picked another school. Um, Trey Phipps was a guard out of, at Oklahoma who ended up going to Oral Roberts. I wrote him down. Uh, Jalen Terry is more of a point guard. He's transferring from Oregon. Rocket Watts had an Iowa offer. I did a story on Rocket back in the day uh, about his interest in Iowa. Not sure Iowa would go that way. Bryce Thompson is leaving Kansas. Uh, he is a player that Iowa was interested in and offered very early. And he's visited here as well. Uh, he would fit very nicely. Uh, he's out of the, I believe he's, he's from Kansas, maybe the Kansas city area, the Kansas side of the Kansas city area. Uh, but he would fit nice. I saw Ed Chang was in from Missouri was in there. I'm not sure Iowa goes that direction. And he's more, I think of a wing player. Um, you look at, and I wrote these guys down. These are all name guys, and I don't know what interest would be if there would be mutual interest here, but Rasir Bolton, Marcus Carr, Adam Miller, Jalen Coleman Lands, uh, Musa Jallo, uh, Daryl Morcell, Jacob Young. These are all guys that you're probably familiar with around Big Ten and Midwest region, uh, you know, college basketball you know you're used to or you're probably familiar with those names so those are the guys that I was able to pluck out of there Tim and there's like 1400 names in there so I'm sure I missed guys that are in there that you know I remember covering during recruiting that I skipped over while I was reading through that my eyes were crossing going through all the names that were on this list and that as you said that could be for France starts but he has a lot of connections in college basketball, as do the members of his coaching staff. So they'll turn over the rocks and they'll look for guys that fit their needs and guys who fit their culture. And that's really where I think we could hear some names, kind of like the Philip Robraca. He, he was a guy that really has no connection to Iowa, but just kind of, you know, happened organically. And I think that's what we could see here, where you're looking at guys that may end up here that we haven't heard of before that haven't been recruited by Iowa before. There are a lot of avenues to go here. You can go junior college, you could go high school late. Um, but you look at it, uh, Joseph Fett Ballou is a um, 610 um, uh, uh, native of France uh, from, and he's leaving Wichita state. He's kind of, he was a decent recruit. Who's really battle injuries, 610, 225, uh, offers out of high school from wake Georgetown, Illinois, Kansas state, Penn state, Texas tech, Virginia tech, Georgia tech, and Tennessee. Uh, I reached out to him today. He said he had not yet heard from Iowa, but would be interested if, but again, it's got it's a two way street here, and there has to be mutual interest. Uh, uh, Emmanuel Duwana, I think is how you uh, Duwana Duwuna. I'm bad with names, and I apologize. I'm a hack when it comes. That's why I went into writing and not broadcasting, um, and certainly not for TV with my face. But uh, 
he is, uh, he's from Miami and he was at Purdue, uh, dealt with COVID this year and just couldn't really break through the lineup, but 6'10", 230. I reached out to him, did not hear back. Offers out of high school from Clemson, Memphis, Georgia Tech, Tennessee, Rutgers, Miami, and UConn. His brother is at NC State, so maybe that's where he ends up. But those are some big guys. Uh, you know, if, if Iowa does end up with Philip Robraca, they've got Ogandali, Riley Mulvey, and Robraca in the post as post players. So maybe that they feel comfortable with that. Uh, it's hard to know how many they'll add. Fran asked last was asked last week how many he said they could add to. So it's a really fluid situation. It's about reaching out to these players, finding out if there's mutual interest, finding out if there's a fit, finding out if culturally it works, finding out uh, from a basketball standpoint if it works. It's I know people get impatient and are like, you know, we need to get guys now, but there's a process here. So let's just kind of see, see how these things work out. But those are some names, Tim, that I'll throw out there. I don't have, a, you know, a whole lot of inside information on this stuff. Um, uh, actually, I heard back from Emmanuel Duwanu, uh, the Purdue transfer, um, who let me know he has not heard from Iowa. So that's another guy that I kind of was doing a cold call on uh, as somebody I thought who might fit from the transfer portal but uh, he has not heard from Iowa. So I will respond to him after I get off of this podcast and thank him for getting back to me. But a couple of guys I wrote down who I thought maybe Iowa would have interest in uh, have not heard from Iowa. So that's, uh, that's kind of where we're at, kind of cold calling and seeing uh, where these come from. And you, if you remember, um, oh, the kid, uh, Bakari Evelyn was a guy who kind of just popped up from Valpo and then ended up being a contributor and somebody who got better as that season went along. So anyway, that's kind of where we're at in the transfer portal. And um, we'll kind of just keep, just keep an eye on it would be how, uh, how I would uh, recommend going forward with this. I think we'll hear things as, as time goes on here and I will, will we'll fill the spots they can fill with guys that make sense and guys that are wanting to be part of the program. I would think that Fran has a lot to sell, uh, seeing as Iowa did a pretty good job uh, with getting shooter shots and Luca Garza, uh, the record for most points at Iowa in the history of the program. So I would think there's a lot to sell there. We'll see what happens. Uh, Marie L. Moore, Mauer, Marie L. Mauer asks, what in the world do you have to talk about? Um, well, Marie, we're talking about what I have to talk about. So that uh, hopefully that answers your question. Alec Ahmed Johnson at Ahmed Johnson, a frequent contributor to the HF Mailbag Podcast, has any concerns on the players who didn't practice on Saturday and what will you be looking forward to in the next open practice? Well, I'll be looking forward to seeing the guys that didn't practice Saturday uh, or, or didn't practice much like Logan Jones and Yaya Black uh, and other guys that were, were sidelined. Some of the, uh, you know, David Koff and Justice Sullivan. And I really don't have any major concerns um, outside of uh, Justin Britt. Uh, who's projected, who, who started the spring number one at right guard on the two deep, uh, was on crutches on Saturday and mostly stayed off of his feet. And then Cody Ince, 
who was penciled in in the first depth chart as the starting right tackle, uh, was in a boot, had a boot on his left lower leg, most likely a high ankle sprain. Um, those were the two guys that I looked at and were like, okay, they have some type of contraption <laughs> on their person. Um, so those would be the ones that were most concerning to me. Yaya Black, uh, Chris Reams, uh, Nico Regani, Matt Hankins, Jack Kerner. You can go down the list of guys. And I have, if you look at my Twitter from Saturday, I listed the guys that were out. Um, none of those guys looked like they were really hampered. They were helping out with drills at their positions, uh, moving around fine. I didn't see anybody limping. Uh, it's hard to know what those injuries could be. It could be something, in, you know, that we can't see underneath uh, from muscles to bones to whatever. But those two, uh, Alec, would be the ones that would concern me the most, Justin Britt and um, – and Cody Entz, but we'll see kind of what happens here in two weeks or less than two weeks now on May 1st, if they're back um, and if we get an update on what their conditions are from, from Kirk Ferentz, he didn't give any insight into any of the injuries. He just basically said, just assume if they weren't practicing, it was injury related other than uh, Josiah Myerman, who was given some time out off after uh, his arrest. Uh, I think it was, uh, public intox. I can I forget what the charges were, but uh, he was given some time off. Was due back in practice this week. Uh, sophomore tight end out of Illinois, the Peoria area. So yeah, um, and I'll be as I said, I'll be looking at the next practice for those guys to come back and just kind of trying to a lot. Of, just when I, I try to give an overall look at practice, and this will be a cool exercise this spring that we get to see two practices because you can compare what you saw the first practice to the second practice and maybe some things that you saw in that first practice you know that you you some of the conclusions you came away with are you know verified uh or you know it's uh confirmed that hey I, this guy looked good in the first practice well he looked good again in the second practice you get a little bit more confirmation there as to maybe guys that can contribute in the fall and then we'll get another look uh at kids day at, at guys hopefully and, and get be able to compare them as well to what uh what we saw throughout these practices but always look at the quarterbacks uh, i'll be looking you know at the wide receiver group again uh, defensive line group, the offensive line again. But, you know, I try to give an overall look at the whole field with a, you know, with a, a natural inclination to look at the quarterbacks with the ball and then where the ball's going, but then also try to look at uh, different areas of the field and different position groups and maybe some developments there from what we saw from the first practice to the second, maybe some, you know, different rotations or guys moving up you know, to from the third to the second team or the second team to the first team or more injuries, things like that. So I will have a report on that after the May 1st practice. Look forward to seeing that again. It felt really good to be out there again on Saturday, roaming those east stands of Kinnick Stadium, uh, shooting video. And you can see a lot of that video on my Twitter. I'm shooting a lot of highlights and then also have some YouTube of uh, each quarterback. I uh, encourage people to watch that for themselves and um, put their own eyes on it and come away with their own 
uh, reviews of, of what they, they could see for, went down at practice on Saturday. So appreciate the question, Alec. Please check in again. I always enjoy your questions, always insightful um, and make me think, uh, which is always good, brain power. Uh, Hawkeye fan living in Roadrunner country at D Freen on Twitter. Thank you for checking in, Mr. Freen. Uh, Iowa down to seven scholarship players left. With two coming in in the fall, that's nine. How many scholarships can he give out through transfer portal? Okay, so this was the question that I was referring to while answering another question earlier uh, about roster management. And uh, so, so right now there are eight players on scholarship. Joe Toussaint, Aaron Euless, Tony Perkins, Keegan Murray, Chris Murray, Patrick McCaffrey, Josh Agundale, and Connor McCaffrey. That's eight scholarship players right now. You add two in Peyton Sanford from Milwaukee and Riley Mulvey, who reclassified and will be here uh, this coming season. So that's 10 scholarship players of 13 that you have available to you. Bohannon could come back. That would be 11. Wieskamp come back. That would be 12. I'm going to proceed and have proceeded for much of this offseason with under the assumption. And again, it's an assumption. I don't know that both Bohannon and Wieskamp will be moving on. So that gets us back to the 10. And then Luca moves on also. So that gets us back to the 10. If you, leave, if you add Philip, Philip Robraca, the transfer from North Dakota, that puts you at 11. That leaves you with two open to use in the transfer portal, to use getting a high school player, to use getting a junior college player, however you want to use them or leave them open. Um, I would say that Iowa will use at least one more of those in some way, shape, or form, portal, high school, JUCO, um, and potentially two. And, how, and if you go back to the earlier part of this podcast where I talked about some names, I think it would behoove Iowa. They, they've got to add a shooter at this point. Um, the guys that I mentioned, I don't think you would look at any of these guys on the roster and say they're knockdown shooters. I think Chris Murray's a pretty, pretty good shooter. Uh, I think Peyton Sanford's a pretty good shooter. Beyond that, and those guys are really inexperienced, if you can get an experienced wing player, either a shooting guard, small forward, however you want to address it, because if you lose Bohannon and Wieskamp, in addition to Frederick, those are your three top three-point shooters. You have to address that in some way. I would not say that Joe Toussaint's a a three-point shooter or Aaron Euless or Tony Perkins. I think Keegan Murray and Patrick McCaffrey can improve in that area, Um, but I still think you need shooting. Um, I think you have defenders, slashers, rebounders, you know, players that can fill other roles on the team. I think you need a po- another post. Play. And Fran might be okay with the post if he's got Rebraca, Mulvey, and Ogundale. He may say, okay, that I can work with that. Or, you know, maybe Mulvey comes in in red shirts. I don't know why you would do that. I would think you'd be better off having him play high school for for next year rather than sitting and redshirting next year but who knows i mean all of these pieces of the puzzle have to come together i think ideally for me in my opinion i would like to see them add two post players and a, a shooter but i could also see them going shooting guard um 
power forward center or some combination thereof. It's going to be a matter of how the coaches feel like they can put that, that system together. But those are your numbers. Um, Defreen and, and you just kind of work from there. And like I said earlier, you just, you have to see where these things go just in terms of the progression here through uh, the transfer portal and, and, you know, recruiting because you're recruiting these kids. They you don't, it's not just, Hey, you know, come, you, you look like a good, you have to have relationships here and build these things virtually right now, build the relationships virtually because the, the uh, dead period, it goes through uh, the end of May. So we'll see how that uh, shakes out. Uh, Mike Condon at Mike Condon, uh, co-worker of my aforementioned wife, Catherine, who uh, will be, I'll be celebrating my 20th wedding anniversary tomorrow. That's crazy to think about. But um, Mike asks, here's a question on Iowa's other basketball team. And he has other in quotation marks. With the addition of Kylie Fjordbach, I think that's how it's spelled, Fjordbach, Kylie Fjordbach, I'm really bad with names. As a transfer from Iowa State, and this happened, I think over the weekend, uh, there is suddenly a glut of players at the 2-3 spot. Wonder if that might lead to somebody already on the roster leaving, question mark. Uh, and then Angie Holmes at Angie Holmes three or at Angie Holmes checked in. You mean Iowa's basketball team? She's a women's basketball fan, as am I. Enjoy watching that uh, when I can. And um, fan of uh, women's basketball, Lisa Bluter and company. Um, so I, I wrote down their roster, Mike. Uh, you've got Tommy Taiwo at guard. And again, if I'm mispronouncing names, just chalk it up to me being an idiot and uh, don't let it get to you. Uh, these are guards. Uh, Taiwo, Megan Meyer, uh, Lauren Jensen, Kate Martin, Kaylin Clark, Gabby Marshall. McKenna Warnock is a guard forward. I, I look at her more as a, as a forward than, than a guard. She's listed as a guard, but that's because she can stretch the floor a little bit. But I don't think you consider her in this mix. And then Fjordbach, also at guard. And then incoming, you got uh, Sydney Falter uh, from Chicago, who's highly regarded and will want to play as well. So are there enough minutes there? I mean, that's what, two, four, six, eight potentially nine. I'm going to take Warnock out of that. I'm going to say eight guards um, on the roster next year. Tybo's a senior, Myers a junior. And again, these are regular matriculation, not the extra year if they decide to use it. Uh, Jensen's a sophomore, Martin a junior, uh, Caitlin Clark a sophomore, Gabby Marshall a junior, um, and then Fjordbox a sophomore and a falter obviously is coming in as a freshman. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, to answer your question, Mike, it's hard to know these, it's kind of a fluid situation, but you make a good point. I mean, eight guards on a team is a lot. <laughs> so trying to figure that out and Iowa likes to go small, likes to go three guard lineup, potentially four guard lineup at times. So I could see people get, you know, players, student athletes getting minutes that way. Uh, so we need to see interesting to see how that shakes out. You know, Caitlin Clark is uh, going to get a ton of minutes. I would think Kate Martin and Gabby Marshall uh, have proven themselves as rotational pieces and, and starters 
Uh, and then after that, I mean, you just let the competition go and may the best players play. And that's kind of where you go from there. But yeah, a fluid situation. We'll kind of see how that shakes out. Thanks for the question, Mike. I appreciate it. Kyle Whedon uh, at Kyle underscore Whedon asks, was digging around for big losses in the big losses in the transfer portal in the past 20 years. Only ones I could find were Tyler Smith, Aaron Fuller, Isaiah Moss, any others I'm missing. Uh, somebody checked in with Jake Kelly, and Jake Kelly was one that I came up with as well. Um, I kind of did this as an exercise of, and I'll let people under, I'll let people judge uh, for themselves. Quote unquote big, quote unquote big losses, because everybody has their own interpretation of that. I would agree with you that Smith, Fuller, and Moss uh, all went to other. Power Six program, so I think you could classify them as uh, major losses. Uh, Jake Kelly ended up going to Indiana State, and his mom passed away tragically in a plane crash, and she was living up here with Jake, and it just didn't work out, and that was a, a tough situation from him. He was one of those guys uh, that uh, I thought was underappreciated. Uh, tremendous player. I think he, uh, he, he would have been uh, – had things not gone sideways for him, in his personal life and with tragedy, I, I would have liked to have seen how things may have played out for him, but uh, he is definitely one I would throw in out there, but I'm going to throw a bunch of names out here. I went back to, I think, 05, 06, because that's what the rosters are on the HawkeyeSports.com website. I'll throw some names out for you and you guys can decide at, at, at the very least, this is a walk down memory lane of uh, former Iowa basketball players. Uh, Tony Freeman, who ended up going to Southern Illinois, Jeff Peterson, who went to Arkansas and then Florida State, Anthony Tucker, who ended up at Winona State, Cordell Pemsel last year, ended up at Virginia Tech, um, Cully Payne went to Loyola, Brennan Kugel to Green Bay, Pat Ingram to IUPUI, Kyle Meyer went to JUCO, I think, and ended up at Houston, Trey Dickerson uh, transferred all over the place. I think he was at South Dakota, ended up at Georgetown. I don't know where he went after that. Brady Ellingson was a grad transfer to Drake. Ahmad Wagner went from, Kentucky, went from Iowa uh, to play football at Kentucky. Dale Jones, who was a junior college transfer here, ended up at North Dakota. Macy Daly went to Akron. Brandon Hutton went to Juco and not sure where he ended up. Christian Williams went to Indiana State, and Andrew Fleming ended up at a school in Tennessee that escapes me right now, and I apologize for that. But I told you guys I was going to do some research for this podcast, and I'm a man of my word, and I did it, and hopefully that list of names uh, brought you guys down the Iowa basketball, basketball Twitter, or excuse me, Twitter, transfer history, uh, some blasts from the past from names uh, that, uh, that you remember wearing the black and gold. I'm going to search here the HF mail hashtag just to make sure that I did not miss anybody that may have checked in during the week. Uh, da, 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 da. It looks like on April 7th, well, that would have been Nope, that's not one that I've, uh, that is not one, that is, uh, what is today? The 20th, yeah, that one is, that one was from uh, the past podcast. I answered that one already. Let's check my 
mentions one more time. Uh, yes, Jeff Willems and Vicky are still fighting in my mentions. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think I hit them all. So thank you for, I guess that'll do it for another Mailbag Podcast. I am Rob Howe. Thank you guys for your questions and listening in uh, to the pod. I appreciate it as always. And uh, we'll be back a week from today for another one of these podcasts. As I said, hashtag HF mail. You can ask questions anytime between when I'm recording this, which is Tuesday, April the 20th, now 12.45 p.m. And when I record next week, use the HF mail hashtag. Uh, I will find your question or comment and we will address it on next week's pod. So thanks again for the questions. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great rest of your week and we'll talk to you again next week.